Hey RTTN, hey RTTN family, family this week's this week's podcast. We just want to take a second and welcome you if you're listening in your car, out for a walk, or you're on your break. We hope this message encourages and helps you in some way today. We pray God blesses you right where you are. Be sure and join in live on Sundays at 10:30 a.m. Just visit rttn.church to check us out and get connected. Enjoy the message. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. If you are for me, if all things are possible, then every giant must come down. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. If you are for me, if all things are possible then every giant must come down I told you some time ago the word if in the English can be confusing if you don't understand that when you see if in your Bible in most cases the word if in the Greek doesn't mean if like I wonder if it's going to happen it means since since all things are possible look at your neighbor and tell them since all things are possible not if all things are possible but since all things are possible every giant must come down Not if God is for me, like I don't know about if he's going to be or not, but the real thing to say is since God is for me, who does it matter if they rise up against me? Look at somebody tell them God is for you. First Samuel 17. Before I go to the text, today we're starting a new series called Bible Stories. How many have ever been to the doctor when you were a kid and you saw those blue books? <laughs> so what I'm going to do for the next three or four weeks is I'm just going to preach stories that everybody in this building has heard all their life. In fact, most of these stories have found their way even into pop culture and into the culture in which we live. They don't necessarily understand them like we do. But the scriptures and these stories are so powerful even though we've heard them all of our life. And today I want to start with perhaps the most well-known story, maybe the most well-known story in the Old Testament. It's a story about a boy named David who fought his giant named Goliath. And today I want to preach about facing your giants. Look at someone, tell them, neighbor, you can't run from that joker. Tell them you got to face that giant. Facing your giant, 1 Samuel 17. Verse 1, now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. and They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul, the men of Israel, and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines, listen to this carefully, please. The Philistines 
stood on a mountain. Say a mountain. The Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. I want you to skip over to verse 12. Now David. Somebody say David. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of of Saul. I want to preach today this entire chapter. I'm going to, I want you to just keep your Bible with you. Turn it on. Leave it on. Don't FaceTime. Don't Facebook. Don't tweet. But just keep your Bible open today. And I want to preach today about David and Goliath, but from a slightly different perspective perhaps than we've ever treated this text before because I believe God spoke something to me clearly for you and for our generation. How many know that the Spirit of God is still giving victory to His people? I'm going to try it again. How many know that the Spirit of God is still giving victory to His people? If you plan on leaving this place today with victory, I wish you'd let out the loudest shout you got in you right now. Come on. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, I pray for our people today. They're your people, the sheep of your pasture. We thank you, Father, for the honor to preach your word. Now, I pray you would attain and you would attend this moment with your presence and your power. Send the anointing that makes preaching life changing. I pray that these precious people would jump into this river of anointing that I feel welling up on the inside of me. I thank you the anointing will break every yoke and remove every burden. Uh, in fact, right now I serve notice on every enemy that thought he would hang around till Monday morning. I declare before we see the sun set on this evening that the head of our giant is coming off and victory is coming to the people of God. I thank you that no weapon formed against them is going to be able to prosper and the fire of God is going to consume every enemy. And I pray in the name of Jesus you would break the back of the adversary today. He would not rise again in our life. We thank you for what you're doing and what you're getting ready to do in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Look at your neighbor on your way down. Say neighbor, face the giant. On the last trip I took to Israel, a little over a year ago, I had the privilege of going to the region where the battle of David and Goliath occurred. At the heart of ancient Palestine in, in this region, this region known as Shephala, a series of ridges, it's a series of ridges and valleys connecting the Judean mountains to the east with the wide, flat expanse of the Mediterranean plain. It is an area of overwhelming beauty. There you will find vineyards and wheat fields and forests of sycamore and terebinth trees. It is not only an area of great beauty, it is an area of great historical and strategic importance. Over the centuries, numerous battles have been fought for control of this region that is mentioned here in 1 Samuel 17 because its valleys rising from the Mediterranean plain offer those on the coast a clear path and a clear road to the cities of Bethlehem and Jerusalem in the Judean highlands. The most legendary part of this land is this place called the Valley of Elah. 
During the Maccabean Wars, it played a central role there in the war with Syria. A thousand years later, it was the Elah Valley where Saladin faced off against the Knights of the Crusades in the 12th century. But most famously, this Elah Valley is where the fledging kingdom of Israel squared off against the armies of the Philistines during the days of the Old Testament in the reign of Saul. Tribe of the Philistines, everybody say Philistines. The tribe of the Philistines came from Crete. They were a nautical people who moved to Palestine and settled along the Mediterranean coast. Now we contrast that with Israel who during this same time period had amassed themselves and camped out in the mountains under the leadership of King Saul. In the second half of the 11th century B.C., the Philistines began moving east, winding their way up the upstream along the base of this valley called Elah. And the strategic plan of the Philistines was to capture, listen to this, the Philistines wanted to capture the mountain ridge near Bethlehem so that they could split Saul's kingdom in two and successfully divide him because how many know a house divided against itself cannot stand? While I do not want to be oversimplistic today and reduce this story to merely a land battle, the fact of the matter is that the Philistines were attempting to expand their tribal territory and capture this mountainous region that Saul and the Israelites had claimed as their own. And they saw this piece of property, this, this landmass, this mountainous range with this valley in between, they saw it as a strategic key to the long-term viability of their Philistine tribe. They wanted to have a clear road to Hebron, Bethlehem, and Jerusalem, and they understood that taking this relatively small parcel of scenic perfection was an essential piece of their strategy. The Philistines were battle-tested. They were mean people. They were dangerous. And they were the sworn enemy of the people of God. So Saul, seeing the advancement of the Philistines, becomes alarmed at the military strategy of the Philistines coming into their region. And Saul gathered his men and hastened his army to the battlefield to confront them. The Philistines set up a camp along the southern ridge of the Elah Valley. The Israelites pitched their tent on the other side along the northern ridge, which left the two armies looking across a valley at one another. So now we have two kingdoms perched in strategic high places, confronting one another to decide who will own and occupy these mountains. Say mountains. There was something significant about taking the high places. From antiquity to modern day, there has always been an assignment for every army who ever wanted to win. There has always been an assignment to occupy and own the high place. I was just in a meeting recently with a number of leaders who represent Israel, and they were all celebrating because recently our president decided to name the Golan Heights as a strip of property that literally belonged to Israel. This has not ever been done before. 
But it was significant because whoever owns the Golan Heights literally has the advantage in any war. It's the same for our own city here. We are surrounded by Missionary Ridge and Lookout Mountain. And you know that in the Civil War, everybody wanted the ridge. They wanted the mountain. They wanted the high place. Why? Because you have a certain superiority when you own the high place in time of battle. Are you listening to me today? But I want to tell you that not just the enemy has not just decided to come after geographical high places and geographical mountains. He doesn't just want to win geographical mountains and occupy them, but there are cultural mountains that Satan has designed and desired to have so that the enemy can occupy these high places of culture and he can steer the direction of nations and even generations. The high places of society and culture that Satan has desired and designed a plan, he crafted a plan to occupy these mountains so as to, listen, steer and steward the direction of a generation and even nations. What am I talking about? Let me get to it. In his book, The Seven Mountain Prophecy, Johnny Enlow, if you've never read the book, I encourage you to read it. It is a profound book that, that, that talks about the seven mountain peaks of any culture, the seven mountain peaks of any society. And he lays out the seven mountains of culture, namely media. Put this slide up if you have it, Chad. Namely media, government, Education, yes, it's up there, thank you. Education, economy, family, religion, and then arts and entertainment. And the book is a prophetic call, listen, to see kingdom citizens like you and I invade and occupy these seven mountains of culture so that we become disciples of nations. Listen to this excerpt from his book. This is what Johnny Enlow says in his book. He says, today, and I quote, today, nations with no history of Christian political leadership are coming under the influence of Christian congressmen and other key governmental leaders. Christian educators are being drawn to the forefront and becoming known for new concepts and new curriculum for schools. Movies and art are suddenly experiencing Christian influence as never before. Christian athletes... Christian coaches, artists, musicians, economists, lawmakers, journalists, entrepreneurs, and the like are being spiritually promoted like never before. As the world becomes darker, the true light of Christ is becoming brighter and brighter. In unprecedented fashion, the church is getting an opportunity to manifest Christ's solutions in society. In an Outside of the four walls context, the Lord is raising up his people, anybody that's God's people in here today, and giving them an opportunity to fulfill the entire great commission to disciple nations and not just individuals. I want you to look briefly with me. I'm going back to David and Goliath, but i got to set this thing up. I want you to briefly look with me at Matthew 28 and Mark 16. Put your finger on both of those places. Matthew 28 and Mark 16 are, are, are the location in the Scripture where Jesus gives us, just before his departure, he gives us what we call the Great Commission. Everyone say the Great Commission. 
Now, I want you to look at Mark 16 first because the Mark 16 version of the Great Commission is interesting and it is profound and I want you to see this. Mark 16, can you put that one up on the screen please? Mark 16, verse number 15 I believe is the first place I want you to look. And here's what the text says. In Mark 16, verse number 15, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Next scripture, please. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. How many know that doesn't mean we, have, we don't bring them in church? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, we don't handle snakes in this house. Somebody asked me, what kind of snakes do you like? There are no good snakes except dead snakes. These crazy people who act like a good little rat snake in your backyard is a good thing to have. How many know when you see a rat snake, you don't take time to diagnose its species. You take out a shovel and you beat the thing till it dies on the spot. Say amen, somebody. I'll kill my own rats, but I'm killing snakes too. Amen? So if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now I want you to go to Matthew 28 and look at the very same Great Commission and let us notice the difference of the two, please. It's an important thing I want you to see. Matthew 28, can we take that scripture to them, please? Yes, Matthew 28, verse 18. Look at this, family. Jesus came to them. This is the exact same experience. This is the Great Commission. I want you to see this today. In the Great Commission, in a different book of the Bible, same exact expression written slightly differently. Listen to this. Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given, unto, given me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach, teach, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Next verse teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. These are both the same commission. It's the great commission. In one book, Mark, don't miss this. Some, anybody got a coin, a quarter, a nickel? I'll give it back to you, I promise. A quarter, a nickel? Okay, y'all some broke people. We need to pray right now for God to send an anointed. Thank you, Deacon. I knew you was fitting to come through for me right here. You know what it is, you had to show off that new jacket you got. And man, you look so fine, come on. Everybody see this coin? This coin has two sides. It's the same coin, but each side is different. But it's the same coin, but it has two sides. But it's the same coin. But it has two sides. The Great Commission is the same commission in Mark that it was in Matthew, but it's got two sides. And in the Mark side of the Great Commission, he says this is going to be the revival side. This is going to be the side where you cast out devils and you speak in tongues and you lay hands on the sick and the sick recover and you're going to have some enemies that show up but you're going to walk on top of serpents and they're going to try to poison you but don't worry, it ain't going to harm you and no weapon formed against you. How many know that's the revival side? That's the side that the Pentecostal Spirit-filled church has emphasized for a hundred years, and I'm thankful to be a part of a Pentecostal Spirit-filled revival church that believes if you're going to win the nations, you can't do it twiddling your thumbs. You really do got to have a fire burning, and you got to have a move of God. Say amen, church. But that's just one side. 
I'm not going to get no help right here. That's just one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is not having revival. The other side is learning how to infiltrate nations and disciple nations and each. I believe God doesn't just want us speaking in tongues, falling out in the floor, running around waving banners in the church on Sunday. I believe in all that, but I don't believe that's all. I'm not getting no help right here. I believe actually God is anointing lawyers, CEOs, doctors, movie producers, artists. Y'all not helping nobody. If we're going to change culture, we've got to understand how to walk into the darkness and establish the kingdom of Jesus by taking over. Look over at somebody right now. Say, hey, neighbor, I didn't come to take sides. Tell them we came to take over. Oh, y'all not going to help nobody preach today. We came to take over. One of my dear friends, Pastor Sam Rodriguez, just recently released a movie. How many went and seen Breakthrough? You need to go see it. Not only is it a great movie, because, you know, sometimes we have some Christian movies and it was some chintzy acting. Y'all not going to be real. Y'all know, we had some chintzy acting, and we were, like, embarrassed to go see it. We were like, we did it. You know, we supported and paid our tithes at the movie. Then never mind. <laughs> this is a really good movie. But I was talking to Sam. He's a good friend. Whose quarter is that? Oh. Let me just keep it for a minute. I might preach on it some more. He was telling me this movie came to him. He met the boy who actually survived, and God gave him this vision to have this movie, and then he put him in contact with a Christian producer, and before you know it, they got a screen. They they they've got the screenplay, and they've got the 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 the, the actual uh, script. Out of you, something else. <laughs> they have the script, and before you know it, it's going red carpet, and it's blowing up in a good way. Why? Because God is saying to us. You can't just hide behind four walls and take communion till the Lord comes and call the, well, well, we're not called to change culture. Yes, you are. What we do in the church is complain about culture, but we never invested the resources, the energy, or the time to invade it. I'm not talking about becoming like the world. I'm talking about walking into the world and telling the world, you want some of what I got. You don't even know it yet, but if you ever taste and see, you will declare the Lord is good. I'm telling this house right now, you better be careful who you criticize. Just because they're going into a place and into an area you've never been before doesn't mean there's not. You may not go there because you're not anointed to go there. But God is raising up some giant killers, Matthew Hartley. God is raising up some giant killers that are not intimidated by culture. They really believe that if God be for me, who can be? Oh, God, I feel like preaching. That's why I'm praying for God to raise up politicians in this house. Bankers and CEOs and economists and strategists. Why? 
Because I believe what you find out and what we experience here and what we hear in this house, if I can ever get you activated and mobilized outside of this room to really understand the kingdom, we will stop having to complain about the problems that are in the world. We are the light of the world. We're not the problem, we're the solution. Now I'm going to preach like this, like my head is on fire for the rest of my life. Some of you are not going to preach like that. Some of you, your pulpit is not that kind of pulpit. Your pulpit is a desk. Your pulpit is a car lot. Your pulpit is a schoolroom. Y'all not helping nobody. Your pulpit is a, is a recording studio. I don't care where your pulpit is. I'm just trying to tell you, stop acting like the only place you've been anointed to do anything for God is in the church. And when you leave this, oh God, I felt something hit me right there. When you leave this building on Sunday, that's when your job begins. That's, are you listening to me today? Okay, that was the introduction. Now, pastor, pastor, bishop, I thought you were going to preach on David and Goliath. Well, I am, Sister Yay Yay. But we have forever reduced the story of David and Goliath to the victory of the little guy over the big guy. And while this story is certainly about David's victory over Goliath, it is really the victory of God's people over his enemies. And what we are going to learn from this story today is that David's battle with Goliath was really a microcosm of God's people's battle against the kingdom of darkness, which means the battle you and I are facing with our own Goliath has much greater implication than just you and your giant. Because there's an entire generation, generation waiting on someone to win a battle, not just for themselves, but for their generation. The battle you are in is not just about you. It could be a battle you're fighting personally, but in reality it's a battle for your neighborhood. It could be a battle you're fighting personally, but it could be a battle about your nation. You understand that the war was over the mountains. The war was about the high place. And today the giant you are fighting in your life is about who's going to lead and create the kind of culture and society that we live in. If you don't stand up, and if I don't stand up and fight my giant, the whole world would go to hell listening to witches. You think I'm crazy. I'm telling you right now, a silent church is Satan's greatest weapon. I came to stir somebody up today. Lord God, I haven't been able to sleep. I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning. I was preaching to the dogs in the bedroom. They were sitting in there, and, and Chloe and Lola were looking at me, and Lola let out a bow, wow, wow. I said, praise God, Lola, I think you caught it. Hallelujah. I hope somebody.
somebody else catches it today. I hope somebody else gets stirred up today. I hope somebody else loses this Sunday morning poison that has entered the body of Christ and we start understanding we are called to walk the breadth and the width of this world everywhere the sole of our foot touches. It belongs to the kingdom of our God. I wish I could find somebody to help me preach. Okay, so let's get to what you came for. David and Goliath. This is a battle about being intimidated by what you see. Goliath is nine feet, nine inches tall. Come here, John Cantrell. Come here, Big John. Come up here. Big John. Sweetest man in the whole church, but he's bad to the bone. Look at him. Six nine, six eight. How many would agree he's a big guy? Anybody that makes me look small is a big guy. That's a big man. Nine feet. Nine inches tall, imposing, intimidating. Before he even opens his mouth, his size alone caused thousands of Israelites to disqualify themselves from battle. They just looked at him and said, I can't handle that one. What a crummy way to live. There are more people who are interested in preserving the longevity of their life than giving the giant all he can handle. I don't know about you, I'd rather die fighting than run away like a coward living in a cave the rest of my life. I feel this in me today, John. Do you feel this? I feel this. Nine feet, nine inches tall. It's all about what you see. All Satan does is paint on a canvas of your mind how bad life can be. All he does is show you how messed up the kids and the marriage and the money and everything else is. And you just step back and all week long it's how big the giant is. And you come to church on Sunday, we got to beg you to praise the Lord because all you can think about is it's a big old giant. But I want to tell you that this battle is really not about what you can see. In fact, the keys and the secret to the victory are in what you can't see. Tell John you love him. That's my man right there. The secret to this victory that David is about to win is not in what you can see. It's in what you can't see. Because I found out God will take the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So, key number one, let me just lay this here or something. No, don't get nervous. All my people get nervous. Whole staff up here screaming at one another and whatnot. 
I've been living 39 years. I know how to handle myself. Amen. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for him, Lord. Number one, key number one to victory. Karate chop your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, I have something on my life that you can't see. It's about what you can't see. Goliath, all he has going for him is what you see. But David's got something going for him that you can't see. I feel like calling off and preaching today. The devil's in trouble today. I said the devil's in trouble today. Jesus is alive. God is exalted. The devil is defeated. The first thing that you can't see is the anointing. David's got something on his life nobody but his daddy and his brothers and the prophet Samuel knew about. In order to understand this, you got to back up to 1 Samuel 16. When God spoke to Samuel the prophet, he said, I want you to go down and I want you to find, Je- I want you to find the house of Jesse. And he said, in that house is the next king of Israel. He went down to Jesse's house. Jesse had eight sons, but he didn't think anything about David, so he left David out in the field with the sheep. While he was out in the field with the sheep, his seven brothers were summoned into the living room by their father Jesse. Standing there in the living room with Jesse and his seven sons was the prophet Samuel with a horn of oil. And the Bible said that Samuel looked at Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah and all the rest of the brothers. And he said, surely the Lord's anointed is among us. But when they all, give me, give me, give me, give me, uh, come here, Deacon. Come here, trustee. Come, come help me. Oh, Keith, you look amazing today. Come on, come stand right here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. And Byron, you get in here. Andrew, you get in here. Matthew, you get in here. Come on. Mark, come on. Is that, how many is that? How many is that? Two, four, six, seven. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Okay, so, so Samuel, the prophet, we need a prophet. Uh, Elder Whiting, come here, come here. You, you look like a seasoned prophet. Come here. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Come stand down here. Samuel comes into the house of Jesse, and all seven sons are in the house, and he walks through, and he lets the horn of oil, and it doesn't flow over Abinadab, and it doesn't flow over Eliab, and it doesn't flow over Shammah. Come on, prophet. And it doesn't. Come on. You you need to be doing this. I'm not the prophet. And yes, and it doesn't flow over all the brothers. And so Samuel steps back. Come on, step back. Oh, you're worth waiting on. Come on. Steps back, and he says, maybe I should try it again. So let's go through this one more time. And he puts the horn of oil up over Eliab. Nothing happens. Over Shaman, nothing happens. Over Abinadab, nothing happens. Over all of Jesse's sons, and nothing happens. Samuel says, I know I heard God. The next king is in this house. Do you have any more sons? Look at your neighbor. Tell them, neighbor, you might be the one they forgot about. I'm getting ready to help somebody in here right now. Have you ever felt like the one they forgot about? Have you ever felt like they left you out in the backyard and nobody knew your name? I want to tell you, the anointing God has for you is reserved for you. Can't nobody else.
it. It won't fall on them. It will only fall. Oh, my God, I feel like preaching today. Look at your neighbor. Tell him I'm thankful for the anointing. Are you sure you don't have any more kids? Are you sure you don't have any more kids? Are you sure? Well, 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 come here, Mr. Samuel. Come here, Mr. Go over there. Go over there. It's the backyard. Hurry. Run, 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 run. Mr. Samuel, let me show you out here in the backyard. Opens the back door, walks out, and there out in the field, clapping. No, turn around like nobody's looking, clapping, jumping, 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 shouting, shouting, shouting to God. Come on, not like that. Shout, shout. Samuel, surely, sure, clap, shout, jump, shout. Come on, come on. Jump. Surely you don't want that son. Because sometimes, jump, sometimes he comes home and his hands are red from clapping. Sometimes he comes home and he don't have any voice left because all day long he stood out on top of a rock and was singing these things he calls a song. And he comes in sometimes and his face are full of tears. Surely you don't want that son. And Samuel said, we will not sit down until he walks in there. I feel the Holy Ghost. So they went and they brought in David. And when David come into the house, his brother stood off to the side looking at him. And Samuel picked up the horn of oil and the oil began to flow from the top of his head down to the bottom of his feet. And I came to tell somebody the anointing God has for you will not fit anybody else. It belongs shot all over the church. That oil started at the top of his head. Whoa, Pastor, I feel this thing. And flowed all the way down to the bottom of his feet. And here he is, five feet, eight inches tall, soaked in oil. Whoa, from head to toe. You know, when we anoint people, y'all don't want me to talk about this. When we anoint people, we do this. When them jokers in the Old Testament anointed somebody, it was six quarts of oil. There was only one recipe for the anointing. And whenever you got anointed, everybody you knew saw it all over you. It got you from the head all the way down to your feet. Slap your name and tell them you can't hide this anointing. It'll make you act different in your job. It'll make you act different in your marriage. It'll make you act different in your neighborhood. When you get anointed, everybody will know it. Oh, oh, no. He was anointed. 
He was anointed. You can't see the anointing. It, it's not like, it's not like physical. Mm, it's not, it's not this physical garment. It's this spiritual thing. When it comes on you, you better be careful who you judge, Samuel. Samuel looked at a good prophet almost made a bad mistake because a good prophet looked at a little boy and said, well, he don't look the part. But God was tired of anointing kings who were head and shoulders above everybody else. God is the kind of God that'll go get the smallest in the whole house. He'll go get the smallest one in the whole house because if he gets the strongest one, they might take the glory when the victory comes. But if he goes and gets the least likely to succeed, if he goes and gets the one that didn't graduate on time, if he uses somebody who everybody else said couldn't be used, then when the victory comes, the only one that gets the glory is the God who released the anointing. I believe in education. I believe in being blessed. I believe in advancing yourself. But I want to tell you right now, I'd rather be anointed than educated any day of the week. I'd rather be blessed. I'd rather be the head and not the tail in the kingdom of God. This victory is coming not because of what you can see, but because of what you can't see. The first thing you couldn't see is the anointing. Uh -huh. why, why in the world would a five foot seven shepherd boy start talking smack to a nine foot nine inch giant? Now, when it was on me, you're about to find out what the anointing of the Holy Ghost can do on somebody's life. The first thing he had was the anointing. The second thing David had that you can't see is a heart. Acts 13, 22. God anointed David as king because David was a man after God's own heart. Here's what I need to tell somebody. Some of you, your secret to victory is not in all your gifts and not in all your strength. The secret for some of you and the reason some of you are going to win is because of your heart. Amen. You, can't, you can't possibly know the contents of a man or woman's heart. Amen. In fact, Jeremiah helps us to understand you don't even know the content of your own heart. Amen. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? In other words, the times in my life I thought I knew myself, it took a little while for the Holy Ghost to show me, you don't know you like you think you know you. Go ahead, Oh, come on in here acting so holy and pure. Uh-huh. But the reality of it is there's some stuff hidden laying beneath the layers of your heart. If the Holy Ghost ever lifted off your life and the old you ever came out, how many are thankful for what the Spirit of God changed in you? And how many are thankful for what the Holy Spirit took out of you? David is a man after God's own heart. Here's what I need to hear you hear you need to you to hear me say. David was not perfect. I, it would fit a lot more 
it would fit a lot more neatly for religious people if David had a spotless track record and a perfect resume. But David is a mess. Y'all not going to say nothing about this. David is a mess. David is an adulterer. David is even a murderer. David even disobeyed God and counted Israel when God told him not to count people. David was a man. He struggled with lust and passion, and he had all these issues. David, watch this. What the story of David teaches us is that God will use somebody weak, but he won't use somebody wicked. Oh, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. I've seen people weak that God used, but I've never seen God put his anointing on wicked people. And you've got to be careful that you don't look at somebody weak and judge them as wicked because some people are coming out of their weakness into the strength of God. And if you judge them prematurely, you will write them off before God ever got really started with them. David had a heart of humility. David had a servant heart. <laughs> How would you like to be anointed king and then go serve the man who calls himself king who's sitting on your throne? You say, Pastor, is that for real? Yes, it's for real. In 1 Samuel 16, the anointing comes all over David, but instead of being king immediately, David goes to the palace and serves Saul. Saul is acting like the king. David is anointed to be king. And the question is, can your heart help you enough to serve people who are sitting in your seat? Y'all not going to help nobody. Can you bless people who are occupying your place? See, we got too many people in the kingdom right now. It is all about them. And the reason you are delaying your destiny is because God is trying to test you to see if you can serve somebody who has what belongs to you. I'm not getting no help in here right now. Can you serve people who have something that belongs to you? Can you serve somebody while you're on your way to your destiny? What we have today in the church is instant gratification. And if it's not instant, then we take matters into our own hands. I need some help in here right now. All the squeamish people stopped helping me. You, you got to make sure you've weighed the content of your heart. David had a heart after God, which means David could be anointed and know he was the next king and serve the man who had taken what belonged to him. Do you understand that Saul had already been fired? God had already fired Saul, but he let him keep working for him. God is the only man, that he's the only person that will fire somebody and let him keep working for him. You, God told Saul, I'm tearing the kingdom away from you, but Saul was still sitting on the throne. Hmm. The reality of it is there are people in leadership in some places in the earth, but their time in leadership is temporary because the kingdom's already been taken away from them. And if you don't know how to serve those people, you jeopardize your future and you run the risk of God taking from you what's already been promised to you. He was a servant. In fact, the whole reason he gets to the battlefield is because he's bringing bread and cheese to his brothers. Who wants that job? 
I said, who wants that job? He's taking care of sheep, and then Jesse, his daddy, who saw the anointing on him, said, I need you to run down to the battlefield and take these bread to your brothers and the cheese to the captains. Who wants that job? David is getting ready to teach us something about an assignment. Before you can do what everybody wants to do while everybody's looking, you got to first be faithful in doing what nobody wants to do while nobody's looking. Who wants to take the bread and the cheese? Everybody wants to kill Goliath, but nobody wants to take the bread and the cheese. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. No, look at him and say, neighbor. Will you take the bread and carry the cheese? Well, no, 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 I don't, I don't know, Pastor. If I say that, I'm a little nervous that I might, I might jinx myself, you know, because I really have all kind of ambition until that dies. You delay your future. I'm not talking about accepting the call of God. I'm talking about defining the call of God in a limited fashion. If you believe you're called to preach, then you are also called to serve. I'm not going to get no help right here. In fact, in fact, before you are qualified to preach behind a pulpit, you will carry bread to people and carry cheese to people and you will smile the whole way because unlocking your destiny is often tied up in meeting somebody else's need. I can't find no help in the house right now. If you ever want God to use you greatly, you've got to be able to be faithful in the little. If you're faithful in the little, he can make you ruler over much. I'm going to say this and make some folk mad, but I love you enough to tell you. You keep taking matters into your own hands trying to make yourself something. You will never be who you're trying to make yourself. You got to lay some stuff down on the altar and let it die. I'm telling you right now, I didn't wake up one day in my life thinking this would ever happen. I was raised in the middle of that. I didn't even know if God knew where I was. Whenever he raised me up and raised this house up, it was a shock to me. But I remember many days when I walked out to that old church sign at East Ridge Church of God and I had a stack of letters this high. This is before them cute little electronic signs we got on the road now. I'm talking about them letters that are this tall and you got to take them all down and you got to put them all up and you got to center them and you got to make sure your words are spelled correctly oh yeah I had to fix the sign before I preached behind the pulpit I had to y'all not gonna help nobody right here I had to scrub the bathroom floor and vacuum the sanctuary and pick up them chewing gum ridden tithe envelopes and that was my job and before I was ever able to be anointed to preach I had to get a pure heart and serve the Lord with gladness. Are you listening to me? Where are the people who serve the Lord? David had an anointing and David had a heart. You cannot see either. And the reason, I'm getting ready to close, and the reason Goliath underestimated David is because he looked at David and he assessed David according to what he saw in David. But the most dangerous thing about David is not what Goliath could see. 
the most dangerous thing about David is what Goliath could not see. Number one, it was the anointing on his life. Number two, it was the heart he possessed. Number three, it's that shepherd's bag. What is in that bag? Now, I want to I break something down to you right here. I want to break something down. Maybe you've never considered this before. But I'm going to tell you right now that Goliath, his size is what caused him to be feared. But doctors who study archaeology believed, they believed that Goliath had a number of setbacks presented to him because of his gargantuan size. In fact, most archaeologists and doctors believe that because he was 10 foot tall, Goliath suffered from a disease in which a tumor attached itself to the pituitary gland of Goliath, causing him to be a giant. It's called acromagaly. Something close. I tried all morning. Forget it. A-C-R-O-M-E-L-A-G-Y is what it is. And watch this. Look at verse number. I'm getting ready to go somewhere. Look at verse. I'm going to teach this. Look at verse number. Uh, the 17th chapter. Look at verse number 43. So here's David on the battlefield. Goliath looks at David and said, am I a dog? That you came to me with what? Holler it. Sticks. Plural. See that? Goliath looked at David and saw sticks. The problem is David only had one stick. Well, Dr. White is here today. He is an an eye doctor. Ophthalmologist. Optometrist. Even smarter than an ophthalmologist. Hallelujah. Goliath had a disease that kept him from being able to see clearly. He looked at David and saw saw sticks. But in reality, David only had one stick. Why is he seeing multiple sticks? Because his vision is impaired. And what I came to tell somebody is that your enemy doesn't have the correct vision and he's believing something that isn't true you said that this happened anywhere else in the Bible I know it did because Paul would tell us over in Corinthians that had the kings of this world knew what they were doing to Jesus they never would have crucified him in the first place in other words sometimes the the Lord will let the enemy see things that are not real Look at your look at your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, your enemy is blind. 
You say, does this happen anywhere else in the Bible? Absolutely. When the Bible talks about in 2 Kings chapter 6 that the servant of the prophet Elijah, they, Elisha, they went down to Dothan and surrounded him. Elisha walked out and the servant of Elisha was having a panic attack. He looked at all the army of, of, of Syria and he said, they're going to kill us. And Elisha said, son, calm down. They that are with us are more than they that are with our enemy. And the Bible said that blindness struck the camp of Syria. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Not only will God give you the vision for victory he will take your enemy's vision away I'm, I'm, I'm closing I'm blessing myself I don't know if I'm blessing anybody else or not he goes out there Goliath nine foot nine inches tall some people estimate he weighed as much as 1100 pounds Add to that the coat of armor that he had and a spear, the head of which that spear weighed 15 pounds. A massive man with a massive artillery. And he looked scary. But David is more dangerous. David, you, you are more dangerous than the giant who's trying to intimidate you. Because the enemy cannot see your anointing. He cannot see your heart. And the enemy does not know Amen. what's in the bag. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, what's in the bag? Oh, what's in the bag? What's in the bag? What's in the bag? And so what you must understand is this immediately goes from a battle in which David is outnumbered to immediately David is actually highly favored to win. You say, how is that? Because there were different kinds of soldiers in the army in that day. And if a footman was going to get in a fight and win, it had to be with another footman. But there was another kind of soldier who was not a foot soldier. He was an archer or he had a sling. Sometimes when we hear about David and the sling, we think that David had a little slingshot shooting peanuts out of it. No, no, no. This man was bad to the bone. In fact, most people believe that the, the weight and the force this rock left David's sling with it had the impact of a 45 caliber gun that hit the giant right between the eyes when Goliath looked at David he thought David is gonna come to me and fight me like a foot soldier but David changed the battle plan oh I get ready to preach before I go home today I came to tell somebody in here I need you to touch three people and tell them neighbor today God's about to change the battle plan uh-huh see you've only fought one way for most of your life you've only fought one style for most of your life Life. But today, God is getting ready to give some people air superiority. In fact, I'm not going to have to get close to this giant before I drop him because what he doesn't know is that what is in my bag is highly lethal. What is in the bag? Somebody said, What is that? That is a hallelujah. Somebody said, what is in your bag? That is a thank you, Jesus. Somebody said, what is in your bag? That is a dance in my feet. Sometimes the devil doesn't understand that what you got in your bag is getting ready to take him out. I dare somebody to reach down in your bag and pull out a prayer. 
I said reach down in your bag and pull out a praise. I'm closing. Stand. I'm closing. Stand with me. I'm through preaching. David said, you come to me with a spear and a sword. But the last thing I came to preach is not only did David have an anointing, not only did David have a heart, not only did David have a rock in his back, but David came in the name of the Lord. You can't see the name of the Lord, but when you speak the name of the Lord, demons tremble at that name. I remember being nine years old, and they took me to camp meeting. Uh, and they come got me, all the prayer mamas in the church, Sister Dorothy Ashby, Sister Pat Quinn, all of them came and got me one night, and I was nine or ten years old. They said, you're going to go to camp meeting with us. When I was little and when I was young, I went to preaching. I went to camp meeting. I went to revival. I went there that night. I was nine or ten years old. I'll never forget it. Sawdust all over the ground underneath an outdoor camp uh, tent. I'm sitting there with all them prayer mothers from the church, and they looked at me, and the place was jam-packed. And they said, there is a, a young boy here brother Kevin Wallace where are you and I shot up at 10 years old they said we heard you got a song I said I only know one song there were three verses to this song I sung it everywhere I went when I was 10 years old they let me have the microphone and the second verse of the song went like this a little boy named David went out to fight the giant everybody laughed at such a funny little sight a little shepherd boy armed only with a sling beside mighty Goliath seemed such a puny little thing but David said you come to me with a spear and a sword but I come to you in the name of the Lord he put in a stone oh my God I feel the Holy Ghost I feel the Holy Ghost he put in a stone and he gave it a fling and when it left his hand David he began to sing I've got a feeling everything is gonna be Nine feet, nine inches tall, only one weak spot, right between the eyes. David took off running in the name of the Lord, let that rock go, bam, and a nine foot, nine inch giant. Take a 15-second praise break all over the church. 
Open up your mouth and praise him. Giants are coming down. Ow! Play! Hallelujah! The stone only stunned the giant. He was laying there, and I like what the Bible said, because the Bible said that Goliath fell down flat on his face. Why is that significant? Because I read a scripture over in Philippians that said, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And even your enemy, I said, even your enemy, oh, open up your mouth and shout all over the church. So he went over there and he took Goliath's own sword. David didn't have a sword. But he took the sword that the enemy had, pulled it out of the sheath. You say, Pastor, this is brutality. No, this is what victory looks like. Somebody said, I can't believe you'd bring a sword. Baby, I've been preaching out of a sword for the last 45 minutes. Paul said, this is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. Where is... My friends, uh, Kylie's mom, Josh. Stephanie, Stephanie and Josh, are you here? Are they here? Come here, Josh. Where's Stephanie? Is she here today? She's where? Cooking. My God. Come here. Because I had a vision of you this morning in prayer, cutting the head of lack off. Oh! If you're in a hurry, I love you. I'll see you Wednesday. I'm about to see a breakthrough in somebody's life today. Giants are coming down. I don't know how to do this. I'm going to give you this sword. I just want you to hit the two by four with the sword and shout that lack is broken today. Josh, is he still in here? Go get him. Pastor Tobin, where are you at? Where is everybody? 
take this sword. Don't hit the stage. Hit the two by four. When you hit this two by four, religion is breaking off this region. Y'all are dangerous. It's the craziest thing we've ever done, but it feels so good. When you hit that giant's head, don't hit the stage. I have to take it out of your bonus. When you hit that giant's head, we're cutting off the spirit of fatherlessness off of our sons and daughters. I'm getting ready to shout. I need about 1,100 people to come up on the stage with me, brothers. Shout with me. I know this is gonna be a little weird. Come over here. I don't even know how you're gonna do this. Both of you grab the sword together. Cause when you hit this thing, racism is getting cut off. In this house, in this city, in this... preaching I want you to hear me we have taught in the church a toleration of enemies that were supposed to experience annihilation 
Goliath was slain that day and he never got up again. You can have victory. The kind of victory that disables your enemy from ever rising up again. Hallelujah. And what's crazy is that when David cut off Goliath's head, read the text, he took the head of Goliath back to Jerusalem. And many sages and many rabbis believe they buried the head of Goliath on a hill. A hill called Golgoth. Remember where Goliath came from? He came from Gath. Golgoth. Uh, many people believe that the hill Jesus died on is the hill where they buried the head of Goliath. It was as if the Lord was saying to you and I today, David killed his Goliath. I'm going to kill your Goliath. And all you have to do to experience the victory is stay in Christ. I feel the Lord. If you need victory over your Goliath, I don't care if it's debt, lack, if it's addiction, if it's fear, if you're terrified, if it's a yoke of bondage, if you need Steph, you got it. Come here, lift your hands. I'm sorry you were cooking, but the Spirit of God showed me in prayer this morning. The giant of lack is broken now. Increase. If you need victory over a giant in your life, throw your hands up right now. Throw your hands up right now. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, I don't care if you feel it or you don't feel it, the Holy Ghost is about to bring somebody through to victory. Come on, pray in the Holy Ghost. Something is breaking. No weapon formed against me shall prosper if you are for me and if all things then every giant must come down no weapon formed against me shall prosper if you are for me Against me, shall prosper. You are for me. You are for me. And if all 
out of your mouth. Shall prosper if you are for me. And if all things Say it. are possible, then every giant, every giant must come down. No weapon hey. formed against me shall prosper. Shall prosper if you are for me. If you are for me. And if all things are possible, then every giant must come down. believe that there are people in here who need freedom from addiction, freedom from bondage. And I don't know why I'm feeling so strong on this, but I feel like God wants to cut the head of lack off. And this ain't for everybody, but if your house needs the giant of lack cut off, and you're, listen, you can't cut this giant's head off if you keep feeding it. How many know God, God's just looking for somebody faithful and obedient? I'm talking to people who are doing all they can to honor God with what they have, but it just doesn't seem like enough. And you're willing to put everything in the hands of God today and say today, this giant of lack is coming down in my life. I want you to come to the altar right now. We're going to pray and believe God. Come on, come on. Increase, increase, God, increase them. For the glory of God, we'll give all the glory to you, Lord. We'll give all the glory to you, Lord. Increase, 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 increase. Come on. I want you to get, lift your hands and just begin to get in the atmosphere. Come on. Increase. Just begin to declare it all over the house. I'm not talking about just riches. I'm talking about increase from heaven there's some stuff that you can't deal with yet because of lack, and God's fixing to break that lack. I want everyone else to throw your hands up right now. Lord, let a spirit of increase break out in this church. Let miracles, signs, and wonders happen financially. I pray right now that increase would come from heaven over every life. I thank you that the giant of lack is broken. The spirit of lack is broken. And God said he's getting ready to shift some minds. He's getting ready to change some mentalities. You're getting ready to begin to think differently about what you have. Lay hands on your head right now. I declare increase. I declare, come on, Tobin, sing. Form shall prosper. Elders, help me pray. Break it, God. We cut it off today. Then every giant must come down. Hallelujah. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. You are for me. Every giant, 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 every giant
Listen carefully, I just got two instructions from God. The first thing I want you to see is that David had to open his mouth before he ever slung the rock. He looked at Goliath and said, today I will kill you and feed your body to the birds. What are you saying, Pastor? He prophesied his own victory. The first thing I'm challenging you to do right now is not wait on somebody to pray for you. It is to open your mouth and say, today the spirit of lack is broken off of my life. Open your mouth and declare it. Come on. Right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, lack will not rule my life again. By the power of your testimony right now, release increase into your life. Oh, the mighty name of Jesus. Second thing. When I laid my hands on Sister Hyde, when I laid my hands on you, I saw a vision. Kyle, come here. John, come here. Please. I saw this. Big John, come here. Stand on that step. I'm sorry I'm picking on the biggest guy in the church today. It's not smart. When I laid my hands on Sister Hyde, I saw this vision. I saw, see, because you can break the spirit of lack, but it's not just that lack is broken off, it's that blessings are on the way. Turn around that way and face them. And in Deuteronomy 28, it said, blessings will follow you down and come upon you. Jump on his back. That is what is getting ready to happen to some of you. You think I'm crazy, but blessings are getting ready to jump on you. Open up your mouth and praise God for it. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. You are for me. If you believe it's coming to your house, throw your hands up and praise God. No weapon, no 
I'm done with this. There's some people in this room that need a giant of depression to fall in your life. And I want you to hear your pastor very clearly. I believe in counseling. I don't condemn counseling. If you need counseling, I want you to know you should get counseling. We'll help you find counseling. I believe in counseling. Some of you are under an attack that doesn't just need a counselor. You need the Spirit of God to evict depression out of your life. And I found the Holy Ghost to be powerful enough to kick depression right out of your life. Anybody a witness to that? This takes tremendous courage. And I don't want anybody running up and Asking them what's wrong. I don't want you to do that. I want it to be a safe moment and a moment of breakthrough. Some of you are looking at a nine foot nine inch giant called depression. It wakes up with you. It goes to bed with you. It rides with you to work. Sits with you while you're at the dinner table with your children. And you're just tired of being depressed. And you need a breakthrough. If that's you, I want you to come stand right here, right now. Hurry. The giant of depression. The giant of depression. Come here, Savannah. Come here. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every giant must I want all of you to listen carefully to me. There are seasons we go through in life where we are depressed. I know there are people who tell you they've never been depressed, and I just really celebrate those people. And I'm not, I don't mean that facetiously. I think it's amazing. But even Elijah the prophet went into a season of depression. Even Jesus cried until his sweat become drops of blood. Great men of God and women of God through the years have gone through seasons where the enemy tried to overwhelm them with sorrow. My point to you today is not that you won't go through seasons of depression. It's that Satan tries to convince you that what was meant to be a season has to be a life sentence. And there are feelings, strong feelings and strong voices some of you are feeling right now. Like, yeah, Pastor, we've heard this before. But I want you to know today that God's Word is truer than your feelings. Sister Glenda, receive deliverance right now in the name of Jesus. Loose her. Loose her in the mighty name of Jesus. Now by the power of God. Today, this giant of depression is coming down. I'm not saying that you didn't have a season of it. I'm saying it's not permitted to stay. 
I would never do this. I don't, I'm not the best with these prop things. But I saw this in the spirit when I was praying. I saw lack falling and I saw depression falling today. thank you for the restoration of all things. I was down there praying for someone else. God said, lay hands on him and say restoration. In the name of Jesus, in obedience to the voice of the Spirit, I command restoration to come. What the palmer worm, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the locust have devoured, I declare that the restoration of God is coming. And I hear the Lord saying, remind him that what it took years for the enemy to steal, I will restore in one split second. My reign will restore it. My koshai, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray right now, God, you will begin to bring it back. 
bring it back, pull it back, call it back. I declare it back in the name of the Lord. And I declare not only is what you lost coming, but God says interest is coming on that which was stolen in the mighty name of Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Where's your sweet wife at? Father, I thank you right now for joy being restored. Muka Rosheke in the whole house. In the whole house. No weapon. Sing Joe. No, no weapon. Restoration. Formed against me shall prosper. If you are for me and if all things are possible. Let's lift our hands before we leave this place. Spirit of God, seal this word. I thank you that the giants that we're overcoming today in our own personal lives have ramifications far beyond our battlefield and even the battlefield of this room. I thank you that our generation will see the rising up of giant killers. Giant killers that will shake their family, that will shake their neighborhood, that will shake the nations. And I pray for great victory to come today. Seal the word of the Lord, I'm asking now. Let us take the mountaintops of this culture, defeating the adversaries that have presented themselves before us. They come with spear and sword, but we come in the name of the Lord. Bless the people of God today. In Jesus' mighty name, give him the best shout you've got left inside of you right now. Come on. I love your family. Go in the peace of God. I'll see you Wednesday night in the house of the Lord. Remember, in the morning, 7 till 8, at noon, 12 to 1, and tomorrow night, 7 till 8 p.m., we are in prayer here in the sanctuary, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And don't forget the recording this Friday. I love you. Go in the peace of God.